Hey, we want to thank our sponsor, Avalara and Zipter. Yeah, two two huge podcast. sponsors coming at us. Avalara, the king of sales tax compliance. Yep. If you think you have a sales tax compliance product and it's not Avalara, then you're wrong. You're wrong. And Zipter, Ooh. huge. If you want, if you want your secure uh, document transfer to feel like email, you need to try out Zipter because that's what they've done. Yeah, Zipter rocks. It's like. You everything's encrypted on Zipter. You can't yep. you can't send crap unless it's encrypted. So you can be in a coffee shop, Zipter's installed on your Mac, and you can drag a tax return in there, and it takes like two seconds, but it encrypts the document and then shoots it to your 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 friend who will receive it. Zipter's even working on a BlackBerry uh, app, so look forward to that in the near future. Uh, now on with the podcast. Boom. Welcome to the April 2013 edition of the Thrivecast. I'm Jason. <laughs> and I am Greg. We are so glad oh. to have you uh, today. And man, uh, we have got, like, my mind is being blown once again because we've got another amazing guest today. Yeah. Dan Pink coming Dan, up, man. Dan, Dan Pink. Holy, holy crap. Yeah. Dan he, Pink. He, he wrote Implementing Value Pricing. No, he, he he wrote he wrote a different one. He oh. wrote a, a brief history of time. <laughs> the Earth is flat. <laughs> he, no, he's uh, this guy. Well, what? He, there's a book that, about right brain people. What's that one? That, you, uh, yeah, it, that's that's the first damn book damn book pink I wrote. I read. <laughs> <laughs> what, what's it called? It's, it's like called, a whole take, new, a whole new mind. Hold new mind how the world's going to get taken over by creative people. Right. Creative Something people like are crawling all over the world. And then right. Drive. Drive. Was, I think that's a bit, I mean, it seems like that's the one people talk a lot about. Well, the whole new mind introduced me, and then Drive was huge. And yeah. then um, Selling as Human, or yeah, that's, the, that's, that's the title. Yeah, I think that's what it is. To Sell as Human, I to think. To Sell as Human, yeah. And, and that's brand new. Yeah, yeah. So, and, uh, talking about. You know, human people sell. That's what we do. That's just kind of what's built into us. So that's right. going to be um, cool. So we'll, we're <laughs> we're going to pick his brain on accounting. Totally. But uh, before we get into that, we do need to uh, to give a shout out to our sponsors. We got a we got our two our two big sponsors, Avalara and Zipter. By the way, if you didn't see it, Avalara uh, they did launch a new item. It's called the Ava Hat. Uh, and it is a sales tax clothing innovation. So you can uh, go online to check that. It's pretty pretty dang cool. Hey, I'm going to do a webinar with Zipter. Right. You're going to be on one? Yeah, I'm going to be on a webinar with Zipter. And nice. is it going to be uh, – it might be out before the podcast is out. I don't know. So if y'all didn't go, you're an idiot. Or if you if it's not happened yet, please attend. Please, please come to my webcast that was in the past. Uh, <laughs> So it no really it's Zipter's kind of cool because it's really like a yeah. this secure vault, but it's actually it's got it's like email built in. So you're emailing right. and it's all secure and encrypted, and we use it for like onboarding, getting tax documents. Nice. So it's really uh, really pretty cool. So nice. um, you you were kind enough to summarize what we're going to talk about today, right? Yeah, yeah, we're gonna uh, we're gonna talk some more about value pricing today, and specifically, what we're gonna talk about, we're gonna try to uh, to rip away some of the uh, feel good, happy, fun part of yay yay value pricing yay, is awesome, yay. and we're gonna try to get down to some of the for real 
the uh, objections readers. that people have right. to, to value pricing because not everybody's doing it. No. And why, why is not everybody doing it? Well, because they've got, they've got some objections. Why don't why we talk I, about value pricing all the time anyway? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, we do a lot. Why the heck are we always talking about it? Is it because it's like big now or is it, I mean, it's actually been a big change in our firm. So it's, it's big to me personally, but um, yeah. it, it's like, is it, is it controversial? Yes, it is controversial. And you know why the main why? reason why, why it's it? controversial uh-uh. no. is because, because it's the, <clears throat> if it ain't broke, don't fix it mentality. And, and billing your time uh, is profitable and nobody can say it's not profitable. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's why you've got these gigantic, you know, big, big four. If, if, if it's not, if it ain't fixed, don't, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. it ain't fixed, and, uh, broke it. and <laughs> if, uh, you know, and why rock the boat? Why invest a bunch of uh, effort and energy into something that's, uh, that's doing okay. Well, but, well, and then think about this. Let's say you're um, 60, right? Mm-hmm. Are you 60? Um, close. Let's say you're 60 and then some punk like me comes and goes, hey, guess what? All that stuff you've been doing, the whole history of your career, it's a sham. It's right. all a lie. I'd be like, well, stick it to you. And I'm not listening. And I wouldn't, I don't know if I could adopt that. And maybe is it the way we say it? Anyway, there's a great well, it, might, it might be. It might be. And that's actually where I want to start out. What, what, is, is this, the, because, well, and just, I mean, and this, these objections, I mean, they, they may have come from some things that we heard. Some, something we read, maybe. Maybe, maybe there's an article out there that happened to spark these thoughts. I don't know. But one of the things that Maybe was, you responded to an article that we might have read. There might have been some, but then again, maybe not. It's maybe, hard to, I mean, we don't know. This is just out there. This is, this is the zeitgeist of the accounting community is what this is. And the, the question, but, but here's the thing. Do, okay, because what you just said, I think is telling if someone is billing by the hour, is billing by the hour, is that a giant sham? And I think even more so, if you bill by the hour, if someone bills by the hour, is that person an evil person? Okay, good. Okay, let me say, okay, can I, let me, can I answer those? Yes, I would like I you believe, to. I believe, I believe billing by the hour is a sham, Uh huh. but I don't believe people are evil that do uh-huh. it. Okay. I, I think um, I think a lot of things could be true. Maybe they're uninformed. Um, maybe they haven't read enough about it. Maybe they haven't tried it. Maybe they're so close to retirement, they're like, yeah, maybe it's okay. But I, I got three years, dude. I'm, right. I'm trying to pay off my, my beach house before I go live <laughs> there. And I'm like, yeah, I might be there too one day. Right, right, right. So, yeah, so yeah what, what do you think? Do you think it's a sham and are people evil? I don't think do it's it. a sham. I don't think billing by the hour is a sham. I, but I, yeah, maybe we're completely opposite. I don't think it's a sham because I think you can make money by billing by the hour. Uh, oh, well, I that, think that, I, I agree with that too. But I still I, think it's a sham. I think it's lazy. 
I think it's a really lazy way to do your business. And I think that it's as much as people say, I bill by the hour, but I treat my employees good and I don't, you know, I don't beat them up by this and I understand the limitations. I go bull crap because bottom line, if you're not billing, if you're not cranking out those hours, I mean, it just, it's the incentives behind the hour, behind billing by the hour make a person who is a good person I mean, it sounds even hyperbolic for me to say it like that, but I think, I think that you're not treating your people right. And maybe it's because I was abused by the billable hour. <laughs> so I think it's evil. But, but I, yeah, I think it's hard to be, it's hard to be a good person if, well, you, if, you, if you got that. Well, maybe we've, we've read some articles that may have said um, time, like we may have read an article that, that was for time tracking. Right, and that it, could that could happen. Yeah, and it may have said it. Time tracking allows for accurate pricing, right? right. And it allows for you well, to track your profitability better. Right, exactly. And, and those are some of the things. You, so, so in terms of in terms of uh, real of real objections that people have to. Uh, to value pricing and specifically to getting rid of timesheets all together. Yeah. Um, one of the big one of the big objections that they have is, uh, yeah, how do I how do I do my cost accounting if I'm not keeping track of my hours and what and and you know maybe someone who who was saying this said that people who don't own their own firm don't really have any valid insights into that so that's why i think it's important for you to address this because last i checked you you still did your did your firm go under yet no you're still going okay no, not yet it, it's okay. we've had a we've had a stressful uh tax season but yeah we're not down the toilet yet Good. Well, good. So did you ask me a question? Yeah. How do you do? How do you do your cost accounting? Oh, <laughs> uh, we don't. We don't do cost accounting in my firm. Why not? You're an accountant. Didn't you learn how to do that in school? Actually, I sucked at that class. Did you really? Yeah. I kicked butt at it. I thought it was a. It was like a story problem class. Yeah. I took. I took cost accounting, and I was like, "This is dumb and boring." And I was in a rock band, and maybe that was part of the problem. Because band, band practice was after cost accounting, so uh, I don't know that I was. So I had other issues. I think I was dealing with. Did you write any songs about cost accounting? <laughs> no. That, no. Activity based costing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what is your cost driver? What is your cost driver? Because <laughs> you were a death metal, speed metal band, right? No. Well, it was pretty hard stuff, but it was <laughs> death metal. But here's the thing. I don't. I don't think uh, firms need to do cost accounting. We're not manufacturers, because right, we sell knowledge. Okay. So I don't know why we're actually doing anything similar to a construction company or a or a manufacturing company. Um, maybe a manufacturing company, if they sell a widget, they need to know the five pieces that went into the widget. But, okay. um, and and you know what? In cost well, accounting, well, isn't there always a labor aspect to that widget too? Yes, there is. Well, and see, now I would have to disagree with that too. If I took my my thoughts all the way to the end, uh, think something. Well, well, it depends because there's two there's two parts of it because there's obviously there's uh, there's direct labor and there's indirect labor that you're gonna 
to that widget. But but let's you know not to get into that the technicalities of that. But I do believe even just for compliance reasons, you have to. If, I mean, if you're if you're talking about manufacturing, if you hold inventory, you have to be able to say what your cost of goods sold is for taxes, for your financial statements, for all of that. So you, so if you are in some sort of manufacturing. Uh, situation <laughs> in manufacturing a situation <laughs> then you've got you've got to you've got to be able to do your cost accounting but you're saying for services we're not cost accounting is not it's it's irrelevant we're so not. that question's a stupid question it 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 doesn't even make sense okay why would i be doing cost accounting when i can charge anything i want for the knowledge i sell right and well i don't have to prove anything as to why I do it. And now we're just talking about the revenue. We're not talking about expenses right now. Well, we're talking about cost accounting. So costs usually relate to expenses. Well, I, I guess I turned it into <laughs> to the revenue. You really didn't pay attention to your cost accounting class. I guess. Co- so costs well, no, are Well, no, don't get ahead expenses. of me. We're not ready for revenue yet. We're still, we, I want to talk, I want to finish talking about this because here's what I said. Because when I did or did not read some article, I called up Ron Baker, who knows everything that there is to know about value pricing. And I said, how do we do cost accounting? And his answer was a lot. So you pass this part of the test, Jason. Oh, His answer was that, that that if you want to know cost accounting, show me your profit and loss statement. Show me your income statement, right. and I'll show you your cost accounting. Because really, in our because of, because we're service because we're service industry, our, all of our costs are overhead costs, and so and really, one of the things we know from from cost accounting, activity-based accounting, whatever you want to look at there, the way that you attribute overhead costs is really pretty subjective and it's whatever you think is the best allocation of those. So now we get to the point of why isn't hourly, well, let's talk about this because this was another assertion and we're getting towards revenue with this. Uh, If you bill bill time, you're going to make sure, you're going to ensure that you are profitable. That that was that might be the assertion of an article that we may have or may or may not have read. Could could be could be, and no one's no one's uh, no one's going to say whether no one's going to deny that or confirm that. Right. But the question is know. right. The question stands though is billing by billing your time. Does that and and really because I think that's part of the security blanket that people have about billing by the hour is. Do, is if I'm billing by the hour, I know I'm gonna. I know I'm not gonna lose money. Okay, and so, and so then I would say, oh, you're not gonna lose money. So you have. So what tells us if you lose money? Your profit and loss. And then I would say, pull out your profit and loss. Okay, and they would pull it out, and I would say, okay. now show me your time cost. Right. Okay. It's, there it oh. is. Okay. Now show me. Wait. The, but no, I don't have time. I don't have. That's not one of my. It's not one of my itemized costs on my profit and loss. Okay, well that so I don't understand. So if if billing by the hour allows you to be profitable or know if a job is profitable or mm-hmm. to know if your company is profitable, mm-hmm. then it's obviously being tracked on a profit and loss statement. But right. but t- but the way people track time, it is not on the profit and loss statement. 
Right. But, right. right. But, but this is how people back. Well, don't you go through this entire, and this is where I think the whole thing just disintegrates because well, help, help me make sure I, I got this right. If I'm trying to figure out what my staff's hourly rate is going to be for the year, I kind of go, okay, here's how much money I want to make. Well, here's, here's how much costs we're projecting for the year. Right. Start Add on how much profit I want to make because I'm the owner. Right. And then I'm going to figure out who, who I'm going to I'm going to try to back into my hourly rates for my people based on my uh, build my chargeable goals for them, and say okay I have to have people at this level charging this much and this level charging this much and this level charging this much and if they all build this many hours in the year then we will meet that goal. Wow, and you use I mean I don't know if you've seen it but you use some complicated spreadsheets to track all that stuff. Sure. Well, yeah. I mean, there's no way that's this, going to be easy because there's so many variables. You got this column for whip because now you got to track write-ups and write-downs. That's another column in the Excel spreadsheet because you got to know, you hope, you know, you got more write-ups and write-downs. Right. Not um, if I was your staff accountant. <laughs> so here's what I think. I think all it's of that's so bad. <laughs> why? At, at billable hours. I sucked bad at billable hours. Why? Why? Because, because, well, because, and again, there may or may not have been an e-card that I read at some point that said, that said this, it said, uh, it was an e-card on the internet and it said, I make it a point to be accurate with my timesheet said no employee ever. (laughs) Uh, I, I would like to refute that by saying that that's exactly who I was for an entire year. I was, I was so like devoted to having that thing exact. I mean, I did not charge people for when I did not work for them. Well, and then, it, okay, that's why you failed at public accounting. It, it is because it, listen, here's the thing, and and you know, rightly so. If you bring in a staff accountant and you don't prep them for the smoke and mirrors of time billing, you you got to know how to play that game. It's like, dude, I'm asking you to put your time down. Wink, wink. I uh-huh. wink, wink. You need to meet your goals. So if we got some if we got some budget over here on this client, you need to slide some hours over there. But they can't right. say that. They say track your time accurately. Right. And then but hopefully I was, the senior, and I was too stupid to figure Yeah. However, but hopefully that there was a good senior on the staff that goes, dude, Jason, come over here in the bathroom. Let me tell you something. See, and nobody did that to well, me because all of my seniors were bathroom? girls. Huh? All of my seniors were girls. Oh, you can't go in a bathroom. No, the bathroom no. is where you talk about this stuff. Uh, okay, see, then that's, that's what happened. There we go. Okay, okay. so figure it out. Well, and that's I mean, more of a mentoring issue, really. Then I think it is. Yeah, <laughs> it's mentoring of how to how to rob the system uh, of how to of how to work the system. That's completely irrelevant. Because here's the thing. Okay, here's where I'm getting to. And tell me if you think of this, because you're a firm owner and I'm not. So your insights are valid, and all that you can do is maybe affirm my insights that I have because I'm an idiot. So here's what I'm thinking, which is what an article may have said. Yes, exactly. So you, so what you're saying is that when, because I've never actually done that spreadsheet and done WIP and figured out, you know, uh, realization rates and all that sort of stuff. But but obviously, I'm I, I do think I'm smart enough to figure out that that would be a, a, a really laborious process to go through to figure that stuff out. Here's what I'm thinking though: is you go through all that work and you finally get to this billable rate, and if everything works exactly like you hope it to for that year, you're going to make the profit that. You 
you were wanting to make for that year. And even if things screw up, hopefully everything will kind of cancel each other out and you still get pretty dang close, if not right to where you want to be. But bottom line, you could do you could do it entirely differently going back to your income statement and say, I know I'm going to have X number of dollars of expenses, so I've got to make sure that I have more revenue than that. And that's the entire conversation. I need to sell more fixed price agreements, more value priced agreements than I have costs. Otherwise, I'm going to lose money. Right, exactly. And that's how you feel. So you could do it the easy way or the hard way. Is value pricing easier or did I just paint some sort of fairy, uh, fairy and, and, uh, you know, fairy godmother land of rainbows and unicorns? (laughs) Well, let me answer that with a story with a client during a coaching session. Okay, do it. I was trying to peg them on, what's this new thing you do? And they were telling me. I'm like, what would you price that if you if you were to sell it? He's like, I don't know, Jason. It's like you're asking me to pull a number out of my butt. Uh-huh. And I go, yes. You know what the only number is that you can pull out of your butt? Uh, what? Number two. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna bleep okay. that out. Continue. What? <laughs> so, I think that was the stupidest we've ever gotten. I apologize. But, but value pricing. <laughs> value pricing is this easy. You get you are allowed to pull a number out of your butt. However, your customer is your benchmark. They're gonna tell you whether. That butt pulling number was a valuable number for them, or mm-hmm. not? So, mm-hmm. as a as a professional, you are going to do things like, all right, is this going to meet the needs of my customer, and what price would it be? And then you're going to give some options. You're going to do nice things during the pricing, like give three options: a high, middle, and low option. Say, hey, maybe you don't want our high. That's fine. You get to uh-huh. pick other ones too if that's what you think you need. You get less service from us, but I think maybe you're okay with that, or maybe you're the guy who wants the high price. So. So, it, but, but you're saying, but part of that is you're saying you could leave money. Did you hear me? No. <laughs> you're saying you could leave money on the table if you do, if you value price. Yes. Here, now, here's here. Let me let, let's sum that up. There are no guarantees in running a business. All right. So, so kiss something if you think there's a way to properly guarantee that you will be profitable. And if somebody says, if somebody may have said, billing by the hour is the way that you can know for sure you will be profitable, Mm -hmm. that is crazy. Mm -hmm. Because because you cannot, you you can't, nobody can ever know, are we going to be profitable? You can only hope you, with your experience, that you price a job properly and that you scope it well in a document Right. And that you're courageous enough to say to a customer who steps outside of the scope, hey, that's going to require a little bit more right. money. Uh, right. And then, you know, you hope you priced it right. Now, right. Y- you know, I'm pretty good. I kind of know we price you, stuff right and we make money. And you get better over time. And I think that's one of the things, again, with the objections is you got these people that have their giant spreadsheets. They get a lot of comfort from those spreadsheets and say, I know how to do this. I don't know how to value price. And, and, well, and, and again, how, it's a security blanket because it's something they've done forever and they yeah. know how to do it. Well, and they've made money in the past. They've made that, money. That's right. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, think about it. Am I going to tell this to a partner who's driving, you know, an Audi? You know, it's like, and he's got a, you know, beach home. It's like, it's hard to tell him 
value, you know, billing by the hour is wrong. He's right. like, um, I don't think so, Jason. Right. Right. Yeah, totally. Uh, and here, so here's what we're not saying. We're not saying you can't make money doing it. Uh-huh. We're saying it's just a bunch of smoke and mirrors. Just get rid of that spreadsheet okay. and just charge them. And that's... You, yeah, okay. The, you quoted and that's them, what you mean by a sham. Right. Going back quoted, to that. You quoted them $4,800. Everybody billed fifty three hundred. You wrote off three hundred, and you charged them five grand. Just charge them five grand, right? And and don't make anybody kill you in spreadsheets, and make everybody happy, and um, stock the refrigerator with sodas. Uh, <laughs> or, or better yet, better yet, tell the client up front. I guarantee you, it won't be more than fifty five hundred. That's it. You want to buy it, and they say yes. Now you just made five hundred dollars, and then you can uh, stock the, the fridge with right. soda. And free popcorn in the break room for your employees, and and guess what? They don't have to fill in timesheets. They don't have to. What What's the biggest in your experience? What's the biggest benefit from value pricing? Is it that you're making way more money than you did when you were? Because you used to your firm went through a transition. You used to bill bill your time, right? Yep, we did. So. Uh, is the, is the best thing about value pricing from your perspective that you're able to leave less money on the table, that you're able to make more profit, or is it, or is it non-financial things that make, uh, make value pricing better for you? Certainly both. Um, making more money has been the result. Okay. Um, and, that, and so, I mean, I think anybody would say that's great. Sure. Yeah. Well, that. Well, I mean, that's a business. At the end of the day, it's a business. You got to make money, right? right. And but you want to you know, make more money. You know what it did? It really. I would say the, the probably the bigger thing. I, I guess making more money. I expected that because the book books told me that would happen. Okay. And it did. Right. Um, especially as you get better at it. Uh huh. Um, you uh, you you get better at the skill of pricing. Right. And, and probably even. Money, and how to leverage it for marketing too? I've got to assume. I mean, I, I'm a consumer oh, yeah. of of uh, uh, you know. Since I'm a controller, I I am a buyer of of uh, accounting services, yes. and and I and I would and it's because I see the game happen yeah. where the partners will say we'll save you money because we made a switch from one firm to another, and they said we we will be able to get your stuff done faster, and we'll be able to do it for less money for you. And so every year I go, I, I can I can just tell that, and I think they've even told me that they ate a bunch of their time to make sure that they okay. were good on their profits. Why didn't they just come in and say, you paid that other firm, you know, 10,000 bucks last year, we'll do it for nine. Right. I mean, it, it, but, but they're doing a whole lot of work behind the scenes to still say we did it for nine. Right. I mean, you know, get rid of a firm administrator or, or, or have that person do something else other than track all these realization rates. I mean, just charge them nine grand. Yeah. I mean... And if you and if you need, you know, five hundred thousand bucks to cover your costs, make sure that you enough people to get over that. Right. And if people disagree with what we're saying, I would say, and if you want to know if you're making money, you just look in your bank account or you look at your profit and loss statement. You right. Know? The money you build, people, less the salaries you paid, and then less rent. Do you have any money left over? It's, right. It's right. really not rocket science. Yeah, it's something we learned in accounting school that said right. revenues minus expenses equals profit. It's right. weird. It's hard. But, Math but, is hard. Right. So so here's the thing that people believe. 
your hours, these billable hours, are your expenses. And that is a lie. Because let me right. tell you how many people make those up, right? Here, so here they are. They start with cost. Now, this uh-huh. is one way. Okay. Get, get um, Blummer staff accountant's rate of $10 an hour. Uh-huh. <laughs> Add to it another $10. That's uh-huh. going to cover my overhead. Right. But with fingers crossed going, right? Yeah. It'll... You're trying to please, 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 please. I hope that's enough to cover my overhead. And then add another ten dollars to that, so mark it up three times for a fudge factor. Well, well, no, that's for the no. profit for the partner. Okay. okay. And now I'm gonna. I, they pay me ten dollars, and they're gonna bill me out at thirty. Uh huh. So you got it. What are your expenses? Is the thirty or the ten the expense on the profit and loss statement? Come on, Greg. The t- I'm saying the ten. You. Bing, 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 bing. Did I get it right? You got it right. We're doing good today, man. It's, it's right. So so if they call this bill of hour, the $30, if they call mm-hmm. that an expense or they call that your expense, mm-hmm. they're wrong. They're wrong. Right. It's not. It's it's right. not even anything. There's. I didn't. I didn't learn about that markup fudge factor in accounting. It's uh, nothing. It's something we made up. It's a. Right. It's still a, it's still kind of a number that got pulled out of your butt. You, right. You know where it's tracked? On these realization uh, Excel spreadsheets. Right. And you don't do those and you feel like you are just fine without them. I, isn't isn't, I isn't a lot of it fear? We talk about that so yeah, much, yeah. Jason. Yeah. Where somebody's just like, I, I can't let go of this because I don't know what's going to happen. And it's right. like, well, you're going to be, life will be easier. It'll be a little less complicated. It, here's what, you asked me, what's the benefits? One of them was making money when we went to value pricing. The yeah. second one is has is one I'm leveraging daily now. Okay. And it, my brain has opened up, has been opened up to innovate. Yeah. So it's like I don't people people say that about hallucinogenic drugs. We're like, dude, my mind's totally been opened up, dude. Yeah. That's a benefit. The downside is sometimes I'm on the side of the road. <laughs> but the benefit is to value pricing is what it did, here's what it did. It gave me permission to say, don't look at the things that don't matter anymore. Yeah. Focus on the things that are. Now, I was scared when I did it, I was. Yeah, and I think most people are, but I think people come to the realization that it's the right thing. And though they are fearful, they move forward, going, "All right, I've seen people say this is great. People that I trust, and I'm going to do it." And they do find out it is better. Uh-huh. It is scarier, and yes, you have to be an innovative business leader to do it. I and think. you'll and you'll suck at it at first. You'll suck at it at first, no doubt. But okay. it, here's the scary part, and this is hard for accountants. How do you price? Yes, you are pulling stuff out of your rear end. Uh-huh. And that, how can that sound good to anybody? Uh, yeah, it's How sounds... does that sound professional? But you know what? When people ask, you can say, hey, you know what? This is just an amount of money I want you to pay me to give you this service. Is it worth it? Is, do you want that? Uh-huh. And if you don't, I've given you two other options. And actually, you have a fourth. You can say no. Right. Which a lot of our potential clients do and that's not bad either but guess guess how we guess when we figure out if they're right for us or not it's before we've done any work and uh, we build time that we have to write off right like right. today we had a value conversation with an awesome person i said you know what i think you're struggling with kind of our model and what our price might be let me just tell you what our prices are and she's like wow yeah i can't do it yet but you know what? i appreciate you guys let me know up front, and yeah. I will be back because I yeah. need what you're selling. Cool. I just can't afford it. And I said, cool. I'm glad we're on the same page now. 
Yeah, we got. Let's let's switch this to the other to the to the other side of this though too. Is that you also out there in in uh, possibly articles and possibly other places will hear that how how do I tell who my great employees are if they're not tracking their time? If I can't see who's just dinking around and who's rocking and rolling, um, I need timesheets to figure out. Who my who my dead weight is on my team? Hey, okay. Can we get permission from our listeners? Um, it's been thirty minutes, but I think we need to hash this out for another thirty minutes. Should we do be a, to be continued for the employee side of this? Well, the employee side's big, and we've just dealt with this, and we do, we've got them going thirty minutes already. Yeah, that's crazy, man. I mean, we haven't even addressed. Let's see. You kind of put together some questions. Yeah, we did like one of five questions. Yeah. Okay. You did touch on the cost counting. How do you do cost accounting? And that's a big fat. And I think how do we how do you price a project? I do think we got to talk about project management with this stuff though too. Oh. Because people are like, how do I how do I do? And I think that's a that's a hugely valid thing. Is you you don't you know what time is. You only have a certain amount of time every day with all of your people to finish the stuff you promised people you would do. Do you have time to keep going? Let's do it. Yeah. This is going to be a long podcast, listener. Okay. Let's Stay with us. You can, you can hit pause and come back tomorrow when you're yep. on the treadmill. And listener, until you get through this, you can't hear damn pink, so stay with us. Of course, they're going to fast forward it now. <laughs> yeah, they've got that fast forward technology on this podcast. Give us the finger. Be- where do they go? Eat the book. So I like it. That's a tickle. So the cost accounting, the way we answered that was that's a load of junk because we're not manufacturers, so skip that question. Stop right. doing and, cost accounting. And you're doing a lot of extra work just to make yourself feel less fear. Right. That that's what they're doing. That's what we're doing. That's what I did. What feel it? less unnecessary fear. That that's what I did. Okay. Because I, I, I bet hey, I don't know if this is true, but if if you had two identical firms, one of them tracked time on the identical client, same maybe identical tax return, and one did value pricing on the tax return, with and one tracked time, realization rates, Excel spreadsheets. One didn't do any of that. They just kind of threw a price out of their butt. Which one would have made more money? I wonder. Or maybe they made the same thing. Mm-hmm. But the but the time trackers went through. They went through a lot of work. Yeah. To write up, write down, uh, bill by the hour, mail invoice. Get we don't mail invoices. We draft our fees on the first of each month. I'm, mm. the first of each month, bam! Right. A lot right. of cash comes in the door. Oh. And I'm loving life. Right. Well, that, that's fantastic because again. I never, I never got anywhere near this level, but I know that the managers of the firm that I was at, which, by the way, and I got to say, the people I worked with at the firm were really, really good people. And that's part of the reason why I think I got screwed by the billable hour was that I was going, hey, there's all these real ethical, real competent people who are telling me that I need to bill my time and not having a bathroom conversation. They were, they were really you know, high quality, high ethical people, highly ethical people. Um, but what did you just say? Oh, but, but my managers, my managers, I knew at the, at the beginning of the month, these guys would be under huge pressure to go through my timesheets to put together the invoices to get out to the, to the clients so you didn't have a bunch of, of uh, stuff you know, hanging out in whip. Guess, guess what we do to create an invoice? 
What's that? Put a five and a zero and a zero and a zero and a zero and just and just draft it. <laughs> uh, right. <laughs> it takes like you know a few seconds. Actually, we don't do it because the bill.com does it. On, it's a right. recurring invoice. All right. Well, that's and that's the beauty of a fixed fee. Huh? The beauty of a fixed fee. You don't have to calculate it. That's right. Actually, we have negative AR, right? Yeah. You, uh, which, uh, which in the counting, they call that unearned revenue. Ooh. That's a good... That's almost as good of a, of a uh, vocabulary word as zeitgeist. That's right. <laughs> so, so we like unearned revenue better because they paid you and you know yeah. you you might not have done the work yet you got to do that later yeah um but you already got the cash you got the cash baby cash where to be cash is where it's at so okay. um okay so, you you asked a question about how do you know about rock stars yeah how do you know so if you're not if you're not tracking your time how do you know who really is your pro- productive uh, staff member and who really is struggling and and need, because and, and it's not just not just from a uh, from a from a profitability standpoint, it's also even from a mentoring standpoint. I think is where this comes from yeah. because I don't think that people who are billing time are evil. Billing time makes them do stuff that hurts other people, and they don't realize it. But what they're what this argument says is, if I see that Greg spent. 12 hours on a tax return that I thought was only going to take four, then I need to, I need to figure out where Craig's training fell apart. And how do you address that? If okay. you're not tracking time, okay, if, well, you just, if you just see a, a tax return that shows up and I took forever to do it. Okay. Can I answer that along in a long way? Yes. Okay. You said, what are the benefits of value pricing? One of them was make more money. Remember I said that? Yes. The second one is that it opened up my mind to new innovations. Right. Similar to the hallucinogenic drugs. <laughs> right. Okay. Here, here's what I mean by that. The time tracking was no longer there. So, so we really didn't, ha- there was a lot of stuff we didn't have to do anymore. I, I cut off the time billing software. The employees say, hurrah. So everybody right. was happy. Well, what do I do now? Well, we go to work and stuff. But it made me start thinking of other things we could do. So we implemented a row. Uh-huh. Okay. Row stands for results only work environment. Right. That's where employees are held tightly to the results that they achieve for your customer. Now, that spoke to me and showed me how crappy of a leader I was. Then we started leading more and coaching more. Then I started being with the team more. Now we're seeing the value in needing a project manager. This is weird that you mentioned it. This has all led to this. Yeah. And so now I probably spend more time with my team. And that's how I know who the rock stars are, is because I'm actually with them more. But you know what I'm not doing? I'm not going write that point five hours down. We're we're talking about the customer. We're saying, what do you think we can do to innovate? We're we're having discussions that are very valid and are relevant and are good. Okay, let me back, let me let me unpack what you just said a little bit. So you said something that I thought was really brilliant. Well, revealing, very revealing. Oh, not brilliant. No, but very revealing. <laughs> revealing. You said we we unplugged the, the the time tracking software. Right. We implemented a row, and that's what made me realize that I sucked as a manager. I said leader. 
as a leader, yeah. as a leader. I sucked as a leader. Yeah. And I think you just touched on something. I think that's, I think you touched on the nerve that a lot of people feel is this, is where people go, I can't, it, well, there's an illusion. Let me put it out like this. And maybe this is incorrect, but I think at least from our jaded point of view or our enlightened point of view, whatever you want to call it, that this is where we come from. I am able to manage people. It, you have an illusion of managing people yes. well, of leading people well yes. by using timesheets. You're not really leading people well. You just think you are. Right. And once you pull away that the BS of the timesheet, that's when you go, you know what? I wasn't leading people well and right. I need to get better at it. Right. No, but I think, but the, but, but the objection is going to say this, the objection is going to say bull crap. Time tracking is a management tool and using a, using the right tool in the right circumstances can help me do my job better. I'm using the right tool, which is time tracking to do the right job, which is leading my people. And that's where we're going to get down to. Is that, is that statement BS or not that it's just an illusion that you're leading people well by using timesheets? I think it, I think it's an illusion, but I, and I think maybe if we had read in an article somewhere where somebody would have said, billing by the hour is a tool for employee and partner improvement then i would i would call bs on that because because i don't i don't even know how that's i don't even know how billing by the hour is a way oh i think i think possibly an article that may could have been written would have said uh -huh. something like this it would have said i got to know where you are so that I can know how to help you improve. So time right. tracking is a benchmarking tool to say you are here. You right. kind of need to be here. Let's step it up. But you know what we're helping people become better at? Tracking it's, time. Right. And I'm going, well, I, I think the whole thing's a farce. And I totally disagree with doing the whole practice. So I don't want to get better at something that's stupid in the first place. Right. Well, but, but okay, but let's take it back to what I said before. Because, I, okay, so I'm your, I'm your employee. Mm-hmm. And and let's say let's assume You're fired. Okay. Oh, <laughs> well, that was quicker than I thought it would be. Uh, the uh, uh, the and let's assume that my timesheet that I'm that I'm filling it out accurately, and that you see that I build that I build twelve hours to return that you thought should take me four. Do you not feel like that's good actionable information? <laughs> Um, and how would no. and I guess the other question is how would you know that if I didn't track my time? And and, and I don't think it's good actionable information. Why not? Because, because obviously I suck because I took three times more than you thought I should on this return. No, no, I don't. I disagree with that. Why? Why, why is that? Just because you took three times longer, did do you suck as an employee? There are a million variables that could have caused that. Right. Well, and, and with me, apparently, this is what I remember, is that it was scope seep is why that happened. Well, not all. That's one of the variables. It could be many variables. But that's what happened with me. But you know what the you know, it's the you know what the real problem of scope seep is? What's that? You well, let's well let's let's explain scope seep real quick for people who weren't at like a, a, a Firm of the future seminar as opposed to scope creep scope creep so scope seep is when as an accountant i start 
doing things that are outside of the scope of our, 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 our engagement. It's where the what accountant does more. It's where the accountant does more than they're supposed to according to the contract. Right. And scope creep is where the client asks you to do more. Right. Than what is outlined in the scope That's document. Right. And so I don't think scope seep is the problem. I think it was a leadership issue. Okay, scope tell me more about that. Well, there's call it's cause and effect, right? Okay. It's I think because um, I was working hard for those twelve hours, I was working hard all twelve. I was not screwing around. I was not playing Minesweeper. <laughs> I was not doing. Uh, I was not tweeting accounting jokes. I was working on that tax return hard for twelve hours. Right, and I think possibly I don't know, but possibly you didn't have the right training and leadership to tell you what are the important tasks to work on. Uh-huh. What are you supposed to be doing? Greg, when you hit a roadblock, what should you do? How long should you spend on trying to solve it yourself? And when should you ask for support? Uh-huh. Apparently, you probably, you never, you said, I'm going to bang this thing out till I figure it out. So I was. Hours later. <laughs> I was. Everything, everything that's wrong with this QuickBooks file will be fixed. And that's the way I know that my tax return is populated correctly. <laughs> so, so why didn't somebody take you aside and said, we need, we want to talk to you about, what is an accurate tax return? What does that look like? Does it mean everything's balanced to the penny? Or does it mean, you know, that things are pretty much accurate to, to help the client? I don't know. Somebody needed to teach you when is it time to stop the badness of balancing. But, but, that, but okay, but that brings us right back to it. How would you even know to have that conversation with me if you didn't have my timesheet? Because I, you're supposed to have it with everybody. And you're supposed, supposed, oh, that conversation? You're, you're supposed to, yes. How do you know what I'm doing if I don't give you a timesheet? <laughs> Which is really important to you because it, t- it takes it to a whole nother level because your firm's virtual. Right. So you can't even get a sense for who's working on what for how long right. just by being around them. Right. So so the innovation with um, giving up timesheets, one, one innovation that's led us, this led, led us to a new innovation was Row. So uh-huh. what I'm doing is defining results to that employee. Okay. I'm telling them what is a good, okay. accurate result of gotcha. what you're doing. How, how do you benchmark yourself? Now, that's where I found out how crappy I was as a leader. Uh, and I don't want to say as a manager. Okay. Because when we do kickoff meetings with new customers, we tell them about our firm model. We say, we are more of a, we are not a management model. We're more of a support model. Okay. The uh, the owners and the manager and the higher people, they're always supporting we're, we're, I'm a support role. So we don't manage people. We support them. That's cool. So, so what my goal what my goal as the owner has to be is fully 100% onboard an employee effectively. Teach them all about what results mean in our firm. And that's, right. that's what I didn't do and I thought I did. Did you, so when you give results to, the, the expected results to an employee, does that include a time, what, is there a time, do you say, here's a return, this should only take you four hours? No, no. Are you like, here's, I'm giving you this work, and as your leader, I think that this is not too much work for you to accomplish before the deadlines that are included in them? Well, it's... Because, because of, I, because keep pushing back on this with you because I because I was thinking I was doing a kick butt job on my on, on the stuff I was doing and taking three times longer than I was supposed to really you stop well 
I think no. Well, actually, it's a funny thing. I think I was doing a damn good job, and I even got I even got you know feedback from the clients that I worked with, where they were like, you know, Greg is he's very you know he's good to work with. He's very thorough, but my bill is way bigger than I ever thought it was going to be. So screw you, people, and 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 really, well, actually, the, uh, there was something with. Uh, with Intuit and our firm where we had to do a net keep a net promoter score for them and we got a zero from one of my clients <laughs> one of my clients That's pretty bad yeah we have if you don't know net promoter score it's like if you you know like a what a eight nine and ten yeah. are good are and good. anything below that is bad and we got a zero from these guys <laughs> and it was because of me well let and, me let me just summarize what you just said. You, you said you were great. You got some great feedback. Clients loved you. But you know what? None of it mattered. It all came down to the price. Right. Because when that bill came, they said, all right, all the love we're getting from Greg is misaligned for the cost. We don't want to pay for that Greg love for that amount of money. We'll pay for it for a different amount of money. So right. the dollar amount is what made them leave. Not, mm-hmm. not Greg's love and goodness and helpfulness. Right. It was... It was there's you were misaligned on values. So what would you do as my leader? Well, as as your leader, if if they left, I would have to figure out why, and I'd have to figure out. All right, Greg, the the love and the care you give to the QuickBooks file is not what they value the most. They like it, but what they value is being able to produce this product, this tax return for this price. It's got to be this price. Now uh-huh. you have to. I'm going to pay you so much money. You've got to stay within that price. But I tell you, we don't know all those intricacies. I can't tell you we don't do job costing. Uh-huh. I can't tell you the profitability of a client. Uh-huh. All I can do is say this group of clients who we've assigned to what we call a customer ally, mm-hmm. that all of those clients brought in this amount of money. And then that employee salary cost me this. This is what's left over. Mm-hmm. What? Now tell me, what's a customer ally now? That's what you call your employees? Uh, well, no, there's that's that's a few of our employees. The, okay. the customer ally role is kind of like an accountant role. They do all the technology, tax, accounting, payroll, and okay. they, they talk to the client. They're like customer facing. Okay. So they are they are you know the foundation of our firm. Okay. All because they're the, they're the touch point. They're the touch point. Okay. All customers are assigned an ally. Okay. And that ally is their their results are clear to um, you know blow their minds and you know okay. we we get a little clearer than that but actually we can always get clearer on our results. Mm-hmm. Um, when we started okay. this we weren't clear on what the results were uh, for the customer ally but they now know. Um, it's it's being very responsive. It's doing all of their work accurately. It's doing it timely. It's staying in touch with them, and um, and things like that. So the role is is meant to be, you know, a little different. It's meant to be more customer service focused. Mm-hmm. So do you think? Okay, we've been in this fifty minutes. 
Yeah. Should should we run through really quick your questions and answer them real fast? Yes. Because we we've been all over the place. We have. Well, we have been, and I think these I think these are good. No, you know what? No, I don't think we need to do that. I think we need to leave people hanging on a few things, but we need to wrap a couple things up. So so going back to what you just said is I think this is where people are going to have a lot of heartburn about value pricing. Is where you said I don't know. I just don't know project by project what's profitable and what's not. I just know big picture. I'm making more money now than I was before. And there's a lot of people who are going to say, the hell with that. I, you're, you're, you know, the, uh, no, I don't want that. I need to be able to have more control over my business than I'm just going to throw it against the wall and it's going to work out, I guess, because people say it's going to work out. And people, people aren't going to let go and there's going to be too much fear to overcome that. Um, how did you overcome that? Is it just because you have <laughs> giant levels of confidence? <laughs> you know, I think I was reading books. So this this is how it happens with a lot of people. I was reading some books, right? Mm-hmm. Um, hanging around with people that think value pricing is right. And those right. people talked a lot about their customer. Right. And I thought that was pretty life-changing. I was like... Right. That, that's all that mattered to them. Um, yeah. And so, I, really, I came to believe it. It became a belief, and I said, if you have a belief, you act on it. Right. And I said, I believe this is right, and I'm scared. I was scared. Okay, there you go. Here, think about this. There's going to be a point in time, that if you do value pricing as a firm, you will have to go to the button, and you'll have to turn it off. Yeah, on the practice management software, you have to untick the time and billing module. And and when you do that and you hit update and all the employees don't have a time dashboard anymore on their desktop, you've got to sit back as the owner and go, now what am I going to do? Right. And you're going to think about it because <laughs> you're going to be scared. And you know what? You're going to yeah. think about it a lot. Yeah. And you're going to, and guess what? Guess who you're going to think about? Uh, your grandma who's in the hospital. <laughs> Well, you might be pretty pensive and think about her. But okay. The first thing I had to do was go, how in the world am I going to get paid? Yeah. So the first thing I had to do was call my client and go, um, hey. can you pay me this to, if I do this? And they said, no, that's too high. Okay. So how about this if I do this? All I could do was ask my customer. I, that's, I had no other, I had nothing else I could do. I, I didn't have any cool software I had to just go do you want to buy some of this now it's a little bit easier right in our firm because I knew what they paid for a tax return last year so I could kind of lean on that at first Mm -hmm. I could say well you kind of paid this last year Um, you just want to pay that again they're like Mm -hmm. okay so Right. I was done. I probably was going to build the same thing anyway. Yeah now now I was done go through all the headache yeah right and they said cool no price increase um I'm down with that. I'm like, yeah. okay. And then I just hoped I would make money by the end of that month. <laughs> well, and even if you think through that, if you're if you're not spending all the time keeping track of your time, you should have capacity to take on more customers, which even if everybody that you already had stays at the same level, you bring on a few more because you have that extra capacity to make more money. But here's where I want to talk about. I think you just said, if there's somebody listening who thinks value pricing, if they, they wouldn't have listened this long if they thought it was bullcrap. No. But if they're still hanging on, one of the first steps is this. 
is not just start jumping into it. Make friends with successful people who have adopted it yes. and, and, and make like really become, develop a relationship online, in person, whatever, yeah. with somebody who does it. And that's the way to get your yeah. objections answered is say, how did this work for you? And like you said, you might not get all your answers. If they say, man, I really want to be able to know if each job is profitable. You go, you can't do that. And you go, that that I hate that. And you go, yeah, you kind of will at first, but you'll get over it. And then, then they move on. So that's one of the action points. Find a friend who does it already. And there's plenty of people. If you need help finding a value pricing friend, uh, give me or Jason a shoot us an email. We'll find you for, we'll be your friend. I am with, Oh, I thought this was a invitation. It close, close. We'll sing the hymn in a minute. We're not you're, quite you're, done. You're a preacher, man. You're like, okay. if you need, if you need somebody to talk to, there will be somebody down here, down front. They will talk to you. You come down here. Okay. All, all eyes closed and all heads bowed. Who needs a value pricing friend? Um, then, there's, uh, there's one question that you kind of summarize. I really want to get to, but are you done? Almost. The other thing I want to do is this: Why do we care if other people value price? We don't. I kind of do, do. do. Why do you? I kind of do too. Well, here, this is true, right? You can make money value pricing, and you yeah. can make money billing by the hour. Yeah. Is that true? Yeah. We we believe one's better than the other. Yeah. True. Yeah. Um. So right. So why do we want people to not? Do? I think the reason I want people to stop doing it is because. I think it's a blessing and a benefit to their customer and to their employees. Yeah. And I think you're kind of going to get to the same number or higher if you value price. That's what I believe. And See, and again, I'm, I'm, it, I'm right there with you. Well, let's say you, let's say you value, you, you stop time and billing tomorrow and you start value pricing. You're probably at least going to make what you made last month because you're going to at least build the same thing you did last time. Do right. that. And, and you know what? I, that's a start. Mm-hmm. But what you're going to find out is how to sell. You're going to learn the skill of giving the client what they want. Mm-hmm. Then you're going to start being able to price higher when you find out, oh, you want more stuff from me? Mm-hmm. That's more money, and they'll buy it. Here's, here's why, I, why I care if other people value price. And it's, it's a lot like what you said, is even if, even if you don't make quite as much money, even which you, which apparently you're not supposed to. You're going to make more money if you do it right and as you get better value pricing. But let's just say, if you made less money, you're going to have less conflict with customers, and you're going to have happier employees. That's kind of what you just said. Yeah. And that's that'd be that's worth it to me. And having been one of those employees, that's where if I've got any kind of you know missionary zeal for value pricing, it comes from being the employee that felt like I got beat up by the billable hour, and I don't want that to happen to other people. Well, I I, I got beat up by it too. Here's here's one question I want to touch on before we close. Okay. Just as I am. <laughs> you here, and and this is what I don't I can't stand this. Okay. And it's what it's when you went to the new firm. How do they sell you? Hey, we can do that for you, but for less. Yeah, I hate, I hate that. Yeah, I mean, it makes me mad. So you, you here's what you said: Are consumers that are in the market for CPA services are they looking for the lowest price, or it's are they willing to pay more for something extra? So, uh, you know what? They're looking for the lowest price for compliance. 
If all it is is compliance, they're just looking for the lowest price. Um, no. No, that's not that's not true. Not not everybody. No, no well, that's because not everybody's just looking for compliance. No. We sell compliance, but it's more than almost anybody else in our city. Okay. And so let's just make a statement about this question that you stop trying to get clients by, by saying, I'll do it for less. That doesn't even make any sense to me. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, be my client and I'll, I'll, I'll let you pay me less. Right. Well, why wouldn't you at least get as, as much as I was paying the other guy? I don't. So it's, it's like, how far can you go with that? Like, how many cards can I get in the mail of, of people selling car insurance? And they all say we'll be less than the next guy. Okay, so if I change car insurance companies 80 times in one month, eventually the price will be zero. Because right. they're all going to be lower than the last right. guy. I'm like, right. where are we going with that? Right. I, I, it's like, why don't we pitch our services and say, we will ask you to pay us what a value price is that we want to be paid to do the work that you find valuable. And if we're not aligned there, we're going to have to part ways, or maybe we can negotiate and talk about ways to reduce some of our services to get it to a price you, you can pay. Uh-huh. I mean, we, we're we smart people. We can have these discussions. We don't have to say, lowest price. Right. But isn't that why we need people to still be billing by the hour? Because there's going to be some customers out there who want the lowest price, and that's all that they care about. And I need some other firm that's going to deal with them and leave the good customers for me. That's why, so that's why we are misguided with trying to get more people to value price. We need to stop getting people to value price because that's the way that, that's the way Blummer and Associates is differentiated from the rest of the market to a large degree. And you need to keep that as being a distinguishing factor of your firm. So people don't value price. No, I think that's selfish and you shouldn't do that. You're not cool enough to be in the value pricing club. Hey, I got an idea, Jason. Let's get Dan Pink on the phone. Okay. (laughs) Sorry it took so long, everybody. (laughs) Let's get him. All right. On the Thrivecast, welcome our friend Dan Pink. What's up, Dan? Uh, Hi, you guys. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Yeah, hey, no, no problem, man. We are we're totally psyched to have you on here. Uh, I both Jason and I huge fans, Big and fans. a lot of the people in uh, in Thrival in our in our CPA network are also like Uber fans of yours. So we're man, thanks so much for uh, carving some time out to spend with us to talk about your so we can crack your brain open and see yep. the goodies inside. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I didn't realize there was going to be brain cracking going on, but I'll. Um, <laughs> I would have worn a helmet, but that's okay. Right, right, right. It'll be painless. Yeah, we'll try to make it painless. So, Dan, we'd like to just start the guest with kind of give us a rundown of um, how you got where you are now, kind of maybe from college to now, why you wrote a book, and uh, are you surprised that your books uh, make sense and stuff like that? Wow, okay. So that's a big big opening question there. Yeah, that's a big one. um, So uh, how did I get to where I am here? All right, so I'll give you the... I'll give you the, the fast super short version because the, the long version is is a total room emptier. So, <laughs> um, so let's see here. So I grew up in the American Midwest. I grew up in Columbus, Ohio. Cool. Uh, okay. I, went to, I went to college. Um, I went to Northwestern University. 
uh, had a great, I love college, uh, learned a lot, had a great time. Uh, I was a linguistics major in college. Nice. And so nice. I graduated from college uh, with a degree in linguistics and um, worked in Washington for a little bit and then went to law school. I had a very circuitous path through law school. Uh, didn't really enjoy it, um, didn't do very well. And so I graduated from law school uh, as one of three unemployed people in my graduating class. Cool. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, way to, way to rock it, Dan. Yeah. And then I um, decided to go into politics. Uh, I was always, I actually very, very keenly interested in politics for a long time and decided that I would work in politics. Ended up working in politics, doing a bunch of different things, including economic policy. But eventually, kind of meandered my way into uh, becoming a speechwriter. So I was a speechwriter for several years here in Washington for. Um, a cabinet official and then for Vice President Gore and then I got so disgusted wow. with politics I quit and decided to, <laughs> truly uh, truly um, I, I did and uh, decided to go out on my own because uh, what I was most interested in was work and business and technology yeah. I got kind of tired of writing for other people Wanted to, see, I thought I had some things to say and so I decided to go out on my own and write my own stuff um, and that was uh, 16, almost 16 years ago, coming up in July. So, um, yeah, just shy of 16 years ago. And that's what I've been doing for the last 16 years. And, nice. and um, you're basically self-employed um, uh, entrepreneur. My operation is very small and modest. I'm talking to you from... Pink Ink World Headquarters, which happens to be <laughs> happens to be the garage behind my house, which we refurbished into an office. Yeah. Um, right. My operation has uh, we do some work with some really great contractors, um, but my operation only has two employees: myself and my wife. Nice. And and you know because I'm such an enlightened employer, I I provide my wife. <laughs> um, uh, health insurance benefits for herself and her entire family. Awesome, and amazing. Yeah, I'm an I'm a, I'm a enlightened employer. You're a and, giver, yeah. <laughs> and so uh, so that's what it is. I've I've uh, I've written uh, five books, and that's pretty much the story, guys. Where, where is so so Pink Ink? Where you you said you grew up in Columbus, Ohio? I was born in Akron, Ohio. I'm um, sorry to hear that. So we're so we're like, we're basically cousins, I'm sure. <laughs> exactly. Um, where, where's home now, though? Are you are you still in Ohio? Oh God, no! I mean, no, I'm not. I, um, <laughs> Neither am I. Neither am I. Um, no, no. I I have lived uh, amazingly. I have uh, this. This. If you had told me, I was kind of surprised by this, um, especially since I left politics and haven't worked in politics for 16 years. Um, and my wife and I are have lived in Washington D.C. Okay. Uh, and that's that, that's where I am. We've lived in Washington D.C. for a very long time. Um, right and um, it's a great Washington is a nice place to live. Although I would leave in a heartbeat to go somewhere else if the rest of my family would come with me. Right. I I, uh, I am now I, I've landed myself in Utah, uh, and I'm the same way. Where I would I'd get out of there uh, it, it pretty pretty quickly if there was a if a if a job and and the family were on board with uh, with all that. Yeah. yeah so. On the other hand, it's not, I mean Washington's a perfectly lovely place to live. I mean, there's a lot sure. of good stuff to do. Uh, my kids are really happy here. Uh, we've got a baseball team that's going to win the World Series, so life is good. <laughs> well, nice. a, lot of, a lot of people say they live in D.C., Dan, but they actually live in Virginia or something. You actually are in D.C.? 
I live in the District of Columbia. I have absolutely no voting rights in the House or the Congress. I'm completely disenfranchised. Even though I live, you know, you know, within, I mean, you know, I can drive to the U.S. Capitol in 15 minutes. I have absolutely no voting rights. Ta- yeah. and my license plate says taxation without representation. <laughs> now, there was a there was a there was a bargain being talked about in the United States Congress where we are we have a we have a uh, a member of Congress, a member of the House of Representatives. We get a delegate there. She's called a delegate. Okay. Uh, so but she doesn't have voting rights. Right. So you're uh, like Guam. You're like Guam or American <laughs> Samoa. You got that right. Yeah. That's exactly it. Um, with, without the good weather, and and um, and that's a, and but there were, there was talk, but it kind of fizzled that that there was going to be a grand bargain where Utah, no joke, Utah would get an extra congressional district, and our voting, our person would actually get a vote, and I don't know where that I don't know where that where that went to. Really the problem is, is the, the problem politically is that DC is an overwhelmingly democratic city. I mean, just over. Right. It's basically a one-party place. Yeah. Okay. And so, and so, the Republicans in Congress don't want to create a district that's going to absolutely that's going to go to a Democrat for, from now <laughs> until eternity. And so the bargain that was struck was we'll create an additional district in Utah. Uh-huh. Uh, so, oh, oh. That's, so I don't that's know. I don't know where that is. I, I hope it works out because I mean, joking aside, it is sort of preposterous that I pay federal taxes, right. um, and my neighbors pay federal taxes, and we also pay local. You know, we also pay very, very high local taxes. But, yeah, but we, yeah. we pay federal taxes and do not have any representation in the House or the Senate. It, Zero, none. It reminds me of how our country was started. Right. <laughs> I mean, we're going to start. We're going we're gonna to start dumping. Uh, yeah, uh, instant Starbucks into the Potomac. <laughs> yeah. What yeah. do you What do you dump in 2013 in the river? I, guess. I think it's Starbucks. I think it's K cups. Starbucks K cups. K-cups, yeah, is what it is. Yeah, it's uh, like do something bad for the environment while you're at it, yeah. and like in yeah, your face. exactly. Well, let's let's get on to your books, uh, Dan, because sure. that's what everybody wants to hear. And now you said you have five. I'm 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 aware of uh, of three: the the whole new mind drive and your brand new one to sell is human. Tell me the tell me the other two. Well, those are the three that people have actually bought. And there are two <laughs> other ones. Okay. Um, uh, my first book was a book called Free Agent Nation, which came out in two thousand one. Okay. It's a good book. It should have done a lot better. Um, yeah, I, I, the, right, Dan. Thanks for that. About the, there. about the rise of people working for themselves, and okay. then I also wrote a book in two thousand and eight. It's this is another good book. I mean, <laughs> uh, it's a book, and this did this did actually pretty well. Um, it's a book called The Adventures of Johnny Bunko, and okay. the subtitle is The Last Career Guide You'll Ever Need, and it's the first American business book in the Japanese comic format known as manga so it's a gra- it's a graphic novel business book nice sweet dude my that, my 15 year old daughter would love that book Maybe i bet she would it's a good it's a really really good book actually and, and you can read it in like a half an hour is that like a slam that i just said my 15 year old daughter would love your book no you know what it's actually it's actually a great compliment because oh, okay um, um what's interesting about that book is that it was really written for kind of a 20 something audience but we ended up having a ferocious and devoted audience among people that very much that age. Yeah, um, well, and, and how yeah. many people who've been like published in Harvard Business Review also can say that they have a, a graphic novel in the Japanese style of manga? Um, I, I'm not say many. zero. Not not many. Say well, zero. I'd say one. I'd say one. Yeah. 
Yeah, you. There, there you go. Yeah. Well, hey, so Dan, what? Why? And that and that and a uh, dollar twenty will get me a metro ride to Capitol Hill. Okay. Well, <laughs> Dan, so we're curious. What? How do you know what to write a book about? I mean, is it stuff you're reading, or is there a common theme in all of your books? Or are you just like picking crap you want to write about? I mean, how do you come <laughs> up with a, with a topic, man? Um. Yeah. That's actually. I mean. Uh, it's actually a really important question, I think. It, um, it, you know, um, I'll, I'll zero in on it in a second. I, I actually think that one has to pick book topics very, very care- carefully um, because you, and, and I'm very picky about what I write books about, uh, much less so than, say, what I might write an article about. Huh. Uh, and the reason for that is that a book is, is really, really hard. Books, writing books is really, really hard. I'm not hard like, you know, swimming the English Channel hard, but it's, but, but, you know, it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort. It's really, really difficult. It's yeah, really yeah. grueling. And so if you don't love what you're writing about, if you don't love your topic, you're going to be miserable. What's more is that, um, you know, you live with it for a very, very long time. You live with it not only in the writing, but you live with it in the aftermath. So, you know, here I am, you know, here's a book, um, uh, think about Free Agent Nation. Free Agent Nation came out 12 years ago, and I still get people asking me questions about it and talking about it. I still have to be able be willing, not only willing, but eager to talk about the ideas in Free Agent Nation 12 years later. So I think you have to pick a book very you – know, I, I mean, I, I, I'm – Picking the topic is actually a really, 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 really important thing. So you have to be something that you really are into. The other thing is you have to pick a topic that sustains the treatment of a book. There are plenty of things that would make lovely articles that just don't have the depth or the breadth necessary for a book. And so um, so when it comes to pick, so those are some of the criteria by which I make my decision about write or write books about. Uh, Otherwise, you know, it's mostly... um, it's really, truly mostly things that I'm curious about. And, you know, I try to live by the idea that I write books that, that I myself would like to read. Right. And so the latest book, To Sell as Human, you know, I realize that selling is something, part of everything that everybody's doing. But most of the books about it are absolute garbage. And so, you know, To Sell as Human is a book that I would want to read. But in order for me to read it, I had to go out and write it. Right. Okay. So that that leads to a great question because I think, uh, you know, in terms of the stuff that our listeners, like Jason said, we've got a lot. Of, we're we're a network of entrepreneurial, uh, you know, progressive uh, CPAs who want to who want to change our profession. But because they're entrepreneurs, they're also salespeople, just in and of themselves. What what are why what makes the existing business books suck so bad? I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to start to get the whole category. Sales books, I guess. Okay. Okay. I think. Then, okay. I, I, that's a, that's a great question. So why are why are most sales books so so bad? I think it's a number of reasons. Number one, I don't think they take readers seriously enough. Number two, I don't think they take the profession of sales seriously enough. Hmm. Number three, I think that they're written for a world that doesn't exist anymore. And uh, otherwise, they're awesome. No, um, so, no uh, and so, but let's go to, let's go to that. Let's, let's go to, um, let's go to that last point. Um, most of what we know about sales, and in fact, most books about sales, not all, but many books about sales, um, you know, are written for a world, and most of what we know about sales uh, comes from a world of information asymmetry. That is, a world where the seller always had more information than the buyer. And that was the world of sales for a very, very long time. It was true if you're buying cars. It was true if you're buying professional services like accounting. Um, that the seller always had more information than the buyer. This is one reason why people think of sales 
why, why sales has a little bit of a dim reputation, why people think of sales as sleazy and slimy and lowbrow and deceitful. And in, in a world of information asymmetry, when buyers have a lot more information than sellers, when sellers, when buyers don't have, again, much information, when buyers don't have many choices, when they don't have a way to talk back, the seller can take the low road. Mm. Um, that's why we have a world of buyer beware. And I think a lot of sales books are written for a world of information asymmetry. And so a lot of them are, not all of them, uh, a lot of them are about hoodwinkery, deception, trickery. What kinds of little nasty little tricks we can do to hoodwink someone into buying what we're selling. And I just don't think that that world exists anymore, that we live much more in a world of information parity, not information asymmetry. And a world of information parity is an entirely different world when it comes to selling. If you have, we used to have a world where buyers had not much information, not many choices and no way to talk back. Now we've got a world where they got lots of information, lots of choices and all kinds of ways to talk back. And that's a world of seller beware. And so uh, where the sellers are unnoticed, where the low road isn't an option. And, you know, in my view, that's our world today. And most sellers, most selling books are written for that, that, that world that has, has begun fading okay. away. You, right. But, you, you know, I, so I would take the opposite viewpoint, though. If, if I'm saying I'm in a world of information parity where uh, my seller has really all the information, I'm just going to sit back and, you know, you contact me if you need anything kind of thing. Yeah, and you're saying no. You still are actively absolutely. I think pitching. That's, but I, but I think that, I mean I think it's I think that that attitude makes I think that attitude is one can explain it, um, but I think that it's dangerous in its own way. Um, so so let me say so let me let me put it this way. So if and this is I actually write about this in the new book to sell as human. Um, if if your customer or prospect knows exactly what its problem is. Okay, if your customer or prospect knows exactly what its problem is, um, they can probably find, excuse me, they can probably find a solution without you. Right. They don't need you that much. Uh-huh. Okay? That sucks. Uh, no, well, not necessarily. So that, that, um, that means that you have to raise your game a little bit. So, um, but, so when do they need you? They need you a lot when they don't know what their problem is or they're wrong about their problem. So to be effective in sales today is less about problem solving as a skill and more about problem finding. How do you identify problems people don't realize that they have? How do you surface latent problems? How do you look down the road, um, one beat, two beats, three beats, and say, here's a problem that you're going to encounter. Here's a problem that that you're going to have, but Here's a problem that you that you don't confront yet, but that you are going to confront before too long, and so um, and so you know that's so what it what it means is that the the outdated skills of simply taking orders and waiting for the phone to ring that's pretty much useless. What matters now is being able to go out there and say here are problems that you don't realize that you have, but that are going to transform you, that are going to affect your business deeply, and you better be prepared for them. So that. So that's being an innovator. Basically, it's it's right. the switch from selling transactions to selling knowledge. Uh, yes, uh, uh, it's definitely uh, transactional sales have no juice left in them. It's it's partly knowledge. I would say knowledge, expertise, insights, and those kinds of things. Right. 
Well, and, and now going back just a little ways in what you said, you said a lot of a lot of sales books currently that what they what what they focus on is kind of sales gimmicks, how to yeah. how to how to get somebody to buy. And and I tell you, I, I was a I was a car salesman for six years. This was like fifteen for, sorry for six months. It was about fifteen years ago. And all the training that they that they put us through. And this is what and I'm interested to see how this reconciles with what you just said. It seemed like the sales techniques that I was being taught were how to manipulate people emotionally, <laughs> not so much informationally. Yeah. Um, and and those uh, those were the gift, and that that's why I was only in it for six months because I couldn't, I, I just didn't have the lack of uh, self respect or whatever. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I need to stay in, in car sales. How long ago um, was this? This was I was I was salesman of the month July 1999 <laughs> at Barber Brothers Mitsubishi in Orem, Utah. Congratulations! So wow. and I for selling nine cars, I was not a good salesman. <laughs> so nine, nine cars, cars in a month in Orem, Utah is not bad. Uh, well, well, th- well, thank you. Now I feel better about myself. But so what? So if we're so what are? I'm assuming then I have to assume in your book that you didn't pack the whole book with ways to emotionally manipulate customers and potential customers. No, so, no, no. So what are some of the big, like, what are some of the big takeaways? Like if you were to, if you were to put, and maybe you can't, maybe you can't put them in bite-sized things for our listeners to take away, but what are some of the high points of how people can be effective as salespeople in this information parity world that we live yeah, in? Yeah. Well, I mean, basically that's what the book is about. Um, so mm-hmm. I'm happy. So by, so by the book, you know, all kinds of, um, you know, all kinds of useful ways. So let's start here. Um, um, one of the most important, what, what I did, looking at the social science, basically saying, hey, we're all in sales now, no matter what we do for a living, but sales isn't what it used to be. A way to get better at it is, is not by looking at the bad sales books, but by looking at what does the social science tell us about persuasion, influence, selling, and so forth. And so what I did is, for, for that part, I was identified the, the foundational qualities that are necessary in um, moving, persuading, influencing others in, this, in that world that you're describing. And so uh, what I identified are these three foundational qualities. I call them the, the new ABCs. Um, and they are, they give us um, um, the, the hints, the kind of the, the, the foundation, the ways to be in order to become effective in this world of selling and where there's some, some parity. And those three Foundational qualities are the new ABCs: attunement, buoyancy. <laughs> excuse me, attunement, buoyancy, and clarity. A attunement, B buoyancy, C clarity. Okay. Attunement is: uh, can you see things from someone else's perspective? Can you get outside the anchor of your own perspective and see things from someone else's point of view? Right. Uh, profoundly important skill. Profoundly important skill. Social science gives us some really, really interesting ways to get better at that. What, what's uh, the, in a nutshell, what would be the difference between attunement and what uh, an emotional intelligence? It sounds like great a question. question. Really great question. Um, a couple of things. Um, attunement and something like attunement is essentially perspective taking. Uh, can you can you see things from someone else's point of view? And there's some really interesting research showing that. Uh, attunement and something like uh, perspective taking empathy are related to each other like siblings but they're very different i'll give you the but but they're different and they have different weights so let me give you the i'll give you the study that really demonstrates this in a powerful way okay so it's a study of a negotiation a lot of the research on this is in studies of negotiations because what you can do is you can give people a set of facts put them in with a partner and they can negotiate a deal and one of the standard packages of facts in this realm is the sale of a gasoline station 
And the way the facts are configured, the way the Sorry. facts are configured, um, Whoops. Uh, it's possible to, it's not an obvious deal, but it's not an impossible deal either. So, uh, so if you were back in Orem, Utah, selling Mitsubishis, and, and the best price, the only price that you could offer, the lowest possible price you could offer for that Mitsubishi was, say, $25,000, and the person who was coming in had only $10,000, you're not going to be able to do a deal. And, right. and so, so this was one where it was, but it's not the kind of thing where the person's willing to spend $24,000 um, you 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 have a car on the lot for twenty five thousand dollars, and you end up splitting the difference. So anyway, all, all we right, right. say is that it's a, it's kind of negotiation that is complicated, like real life. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Not super simple, but it's not there's it's not impossible. Anyway, sure. so you put people into these negotiation settings, and in this particular experiment, they they divided their participants into three groups. Uh, one group they said, here are the facts, go into the negotiation, get a good deal. Second group they said, go into the negotiation, but when you go into the negotiation. What I want you to do is focus on what the other side is feeling. Focus on their emotions. Okay? okay. Third group, they said, I want you to go into this negotiation. Here are the facts and everything. But I want you to focus on what the other side is thinking. Focus on what the other side is. Focus on the other side's interests. Now, it turned out that both groups, both the thinkers and the feelers, did better than the control group. Okay. But between the thinkers and the feelers, it turned out, um, and I think this surprises some people, that the... The thinkers did better than the feelers, okay. and so it turns out that that perspective taking is very much a uh, an analytic skill. It's very much a kind of cognitive skill. It's very much it's a little bit more muscular. It's about understanding the other person's thoughts, understanding their interests. Now, emotional intelligence and empathy are extraordinarily valuable, and ideally, you want to have both channels of information coming in, but. In real life, there's only so much our brains can take. And so there's only so much of a cognitive load that we can bear. And so if you're, you know, if you're doing triage saying, okay, I can only focus on one side or the other, um, um, we'll only focus on one aspect or the other, then you're actually better off using your head a little bit more than your heart when it comes to um, moving, persuading, and influencing other people. Right. Very, very interesting. So, so here's what happens to me a lot, uh, Dan, when I, when I am trying to sell something and I get into the attunement side of things is I start realizing when I see my offering from my uh, customer's perspective, I realize that my offering is not really what they need. And, and so is that, is that part of the success is that you're able to just, you, you realize that you don't have the best thing for this person and you just cut them off the line quicker and move on to the next prospect or what, uh, how does, how does that, do you, I guess, do you know the mechanics of attunement and how that really gets you to the next step level? Well, I mean, um, yes, uh, yeah, yes and no. I mean, if you decide that what you're offering, that what you're offering isn't the right thing for your prospect or client, then you probably shouldn't sell it to them. Yeah. Um, and it's probably um, better for you in the long run not to sell it to them. Yeah. Uh, it's probably yeah. better for you in the short run to sell it to them. Right. In the long run, it's probably better for you not to. Okay, uh, which, I, which gets me to another question because I know don't, you have a problem with people pay, getting paid on commission, don't you? Not necessarily. What I, I, okay. I, I have a problem with, with uh, organizations that think that the only way to compensate salespeople is with commissions. Okay. Um, and my view is it, there, are, there are a number of companies out there that have eliminated commissions for salespeople and it's seen their completely. sales go up. Okay. And my, you know, my, my previous book, Drive, 
mm-hmm. lays out the science for why that can happen in some cases. And basically the idea is, is that rewards like commissions are what I call an if-then reward, a controlling contingent reward. All right, if you do this, then you get that. And what 50 years of science tells us is that if-then rewards are very effective for simple uh, algorithmic kinds of tasks, but they're far less effective for more complicated creative tasks. Right. And, um, and so the question is, what kind of sales are you talking about here? And, and, and you know, is it, is it, are you doing things that are more algorithmic and transactional? Or are you doing things that require a greater degree of judgment and discernment? And you're going to want different kinds of motivators for those different kinds of tasks. So my view on commissions is that what organizations need to do is really challenge the convention about the, the, what, we, what we have is this orthodoxy that says the only way to, to compensate salespeople is with commissions. And what I want people to do is challenge the orthodoxy and say, okay, let's be a little bit more calibrated in our response here. Let's, let's think about when we use commissions, when we don't use commissions. Well, mm-hmm. so, so let me ask you this. So let's say I'm the CEO of Walmart, right? Yeah. So let me give you a real scenario. And so I read your book, To Sell as Human, and I believe everybody has to do this, have this feature of attunement uh, with the customer. How do I get Judy in the dog food department in Orem, Utah? Do I want her to be a sales person? Or what is she supposed to do to sell dog food? And how do I, how do I push this thinking through a huge organization? Yeah, like that? I, think that's, I think that's a tough one. Um, I think that's a tough one in a place like in a place like Walmart. Ideally, what you want, ideally, what you want is you want Judy to be an expert in dog food and other kinds of pet products, whatever whatever area that she's in. And you want Judy to know, really provide expertise. So when someone comes in and has a question, Judy knows exactly what kind of dog food to recommend, exactly what kind of dog holler to recommend. So, uh, so you want you want Judy to be adept at um, uh, asking customers questions and asking customers questions and um, trying to surface what they're really after because maybe they they come in for a certain kind of dog food and it's just a matter of finding it on the shelf. But in many cases, asking them a few questions would mean that they're actually looking for what's actually going to be best for their particular breed. It's a different, a totally different kind of dog food. Right? Now, is that, and is that clarity what you're describing right there? Yes. Okay. So, so in terms of that Walmart, so, so you could have different people within your organization who are maybe, I mean, is it, is it possible that different people, I mean, it, to sell as human, everybody's doing it, but maybe for a different positions, you have to be, uh, emphasize a, a, you know, attunement, buoyancy or clarity differently depending on where you're at. Sure. I think so. I think it's going to be, I think it's going to vary for different people. I think it's going to vary in different circumstances too. Uh-huh. Um, you know, for, for Judy in, in the dog food department, um, it's, uh, it's going to be, it's going to be it's going to be a mix of things. Ideally, you want her attuned to the customers, um, uh-huh. all, you know, all the time. But uh, I think clarity is going to be a big part of her job. But you know, in some cases, uh, the customer simply wants to know where is this particular brand of dog food, and, <laughs> right. and Judy can help her help that customer find it on the shelves. Right. Um, but you know, again, on the Walmart, I mean, the Walmart floor, they're not they don't have commission salespeople. No, but but they're still salespeople, right? I mean, yeah, absolutely. Because, well, and we all are, right? The foundation of the book is I want you to give me something and I'll give you something, which makes me wonder, well, I mean, are we going to ever be a you know barter society? Why, why do we have to use cash to do this? 
Well, in some cases we in some cases we don't. I mean, you know, if you think about the the the, the broader view of sales that that go back to Judy in in Walmart. You know, Judy is selling when she asks her boss, "Can I come in on Wednesday rather than on Thursday?" That's a selling job. Uh-huh. Uh, Judy's boss is selling her when he says, "Judy, uh, I'd like you to do this thing differently or do this different thing." Um, um, you know, Judy's Judy's selling her husband or her friend, saying, "Hey, you know." Uh, can you give me a ride to work today? And so if you expand our, our hmm. focus on what people actually do on the job or in a given day, a big portion of it is, is selling. You go to a, you know, go, go to a, 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 go to a CPA firm. I mean, you got, you know, um, someone saying to a junior CPA, Hey, come and work on my project rather than this other guy's project. That's selling. Right. Uh, you got the head of the firm saying to his employees, her employees, I want you to do this differently, or I want you to do this different thing. That's a sales job. Okay. Uh, you've got the the mid-level accountant saying, "Hey, big boss up there, can you free up some more resources so I can do this better?" That's a sales job. And so, if you look at what people are doing truly on the job, if you if you sort of unpack what they're doing every day, a big portion of it is a form of sales, what I call non-sales selling. And this is selling where. Um, you're, you're, you have this transaction, the, the ones that I just described, but ca- uh, the cash register is not ringing, money's not changing hands, right. and the denomination of the transaction isn't dollars, it's time, effort, attention, um, um, energy, commitment, zeal, yeah. intellectual firepower, whatever. Yeah. So, Very good. So it... So you're really you're selling like I mean ideas. You're kind of sure peddling ideas do, and like yeah. belief in those ideas. Hey, believe that this is a better way to do it. I want you to do it this way because it's better. Yeah, but there you know there it's important. You know if you're a boss trying to get employees to do things in a different way, there you're you're um, you're you're much better off um, being attuned and understanding. Okay, if 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 Jude doesn't want to do this different thing or do this thing in a different way, why not? Um, and so if you understand it from Judy's perspective, you understand the source of her resistance rather than just command her to do it your way, you might end up being much more effective. So if you understand the source of Judy's resistance, then you can maybe pluck that obstacle out of her path. And she's going to be doing it much more willingly rather than grudgingly. Uh, if you can understand, be attuned to Judy and understand what it, why is this in Judy's interests? Why is this valuable for Judy to do it this way? Uh, then you're more likely to reach common ground. And so... You know, I think that in terms of the day-to-day management in any kind of field, whether it's you're managing retail staff in a Walmart or whether you're running a big, you know, a large uh, CPA outfit, um, that being attuned to your people is, you know, an essential component of effective leadership. Right. Well, and I'm glad you brought up Judy because Judy bugs me a lot um, (laughs) because she's this uh, lady who she's like always – always smiley and and uh and's like you know it looks like somebody's got a bad case of the mondays turn that frown upside down and so she's a buoyant person is that right or is that different than buoyancy that's different from buoyancy okay um, tell me tell me the yeah, basically that's buoyancy funny. is this okay so if you're in sales of any kind you're going to get rejected a lot okay. and one salesman said that every day in sales you face what he calls an ocean of rejection an ocean of rejection and so that was, that was is, me in high school is one of the <laughs> what does the social science tell you about how to stay afloat on that ocean of rejection and so there's some things that you can do before an encounter some things you can do during an encounter some things you can do after an encounter to remain buoyant so it's, okay. so it's buoyancy not bubbly judy 
Right. Yeah, good point. Greg, yeah. Greg, you were talking about bubbly. Now, so okay. Dan, I, this book makes me want to. It makes me want to specialize and niche because if I have to be attuned with my customer, I can't be a generalist and like attune with freaking everybody that I could possibly do a tax return for. Is am I taking that? too far or would I need to niche to try to not necessarily I mean I do think that in any kind of sales realm there's a there's a huge premium on expertise and so um so I think that the it's not so much a rather of niche or general it's a matter of are you an expert or are you not and so in in accounting terms I mean if you're just kind of replicating what someone could do with QuickBooks and Quicken Mm -hmm. um that's not good enough um, but if you can do something that beyond what QuickBooks and Quicken is doing, if you can provide your expertise to help your customers, whether it's an individual or, or a company, navigate this the complex world of accounting and even taxation, and you apply your expertise, then you're providing something really valuable. And so, uh, you know, one of the one of the things that has come out over and over again is this in, in the world of sales, whatever aspect of it, is this um, is this new premium on expertise. Not simply on can you be the friendly person who can execute the transaction, but can you provide some expertise and some insight that is otherwise missing from that client, customer, prospect's life? Right. Very good. Well, let me ask you one one question. If so, if if we want clarity in selling, um, do you think price and sufficiently a higher price in your competitor is one way to cut through clarity and say we recognize our value? Look at our price alone. Is is that a clear beacon to to the right customers to to at least look at you? I mean, because everybody is still trying to one up each other uh, in a race to the bottom, a lower in their price. Yeah. Why don't we just all try to one up each other and, and raise our price higher than the competitor? Yeah, yeah. yeah it's an interesting question. It depends. I mean, pricing is a very very complicated. Pricing is a very very complicated issue. I do think that uh, price competition with your competitors uh, is inevitably a downward death spiral. Mm-hmm. And so I think you, and that usually happens when you when you're offering essentially a commodity product, right? Um, and so I think one of the keys of any product or particularly any service is to look for ways to decommodify it, uh, so you can justify um, a non-commodity price. Um, and so I mean I'm all for higher prices, you know, for, for for entrepreneurs getting higher prices. But they have to be they have to be justified. If you're offering a higher price than your competitor for the same commodity product, uh, that ain't going to work. Well, what would you pay? What would you pay more for uh, if for your CPA? Like, what what would they sell you to kind of make you pay double than what you're paying them already? What what would they have to? <laughs> well, pay? I don't know if I can. I don't know if I can put it at that sort of the algebraic. You know, what can they do to double the, the pay? But what or, I would, or whatever. I would want from a, what I would want from a CPA is their capacity to anticipate problems and prevent me from even having to deal with them in the first place. Um, what I would want from my CPA is total trust in their judgment and integrity. Um, what I would want in my CPA is I would want them to be in the bucket of people who make my life easier, not who make my life harder. So, so what you're saying is you, you're looking for somebody who's going to be able to anticipate those problems mm-hmm. and prevent them from happening. Mm-hmm. You're looking at someone who will, oh, shoot, I was trying to do the thing where you repeat what somebody just said to help sell something. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, Sorry. I, and I, didn't, I didn't get all the points down, and I was, it was going to be really smooth, but I screwed it, screwed oh, well. it up. Well, that's why so. you only sold nine Buicks. <laughs> 
<laughs> so I was hey horrible. Dan, we got to be done because you're yeah. you're done, and man, this was awesome. We could it, just dig through your brain a long longer. To- totally. Thank you so much, Dan, for for hanging out with us and letting us uh, get a little a little bit uh, more of your uh, international guru. Uh, <laughs> uh, all over us. <laughs> All right. Take, All thanks, right, you guys. Thanks, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate right, take it. Take care. All right, bye-bye. Yeah, bye. Bye. Dang it. That was awesome. Dan Un- Pink rocks. Unbelievable. We got, I mean, it's just... Yeah, another one of those starstruck kind of uh, things where it's hard to believe you're actually talking to the guy that you read all these books from. Yeah. Hey, what are you doing in comedy? You got some things coming up that I do. I do got some big things. I was. Uh, I have been ex- officially accepted into the Laughing Devil Comedy Festival in Long Island, New York, May 14th to 19th. So uh, if you live out in the New Jersey, New York area, it'd be awesome if you could come out to do that. Uh, go, go to my website website just keep or follow me on twitter you'll i'll be tweeting the heck out of that i actually don't have show times yet but keep uh keep your eye out and and man it, it's it's fun to, to meet you guys in person if you can come out that'd be fantastic uh my website is gregkite.com my twitter Greg Kite. My email is greg at gregkite.com. It's very straightforward. <laughs> and then we got Deeper Weekend. We want to plug that so we got our live gathering in Greenville we do with our Thrival peeps and it's again this year, third year in a row. It's gonna. It's always mind blowing. It is when when you know forty, fifty people in our Thrival membership. We got some new members. David, shout out to David in Australia. What's, What's up, up David? He's gonna be coming. Um, good night, good night, David. Good night, Mike. Um, so. Uh, so who's coming to the deeper weekend? Who's talking? That's going to blow our mind. Uh, Michelle Golden. She uh, she's uh, she's amazing. She's amazing. And Melinda Gilliametti. Gillia, uh, yeah, Gilliamet, Gilliametti. Yeah, rhymes with give, give me a yeti. <laughs> and they're like they've both been in firms. They're they're rock stars on communication. They teach people about communication, and we're gonna you're going to come and learn to be a leader. That's what you're going to come do and how to be a communicating leader. And um, it's going to be mind blowing. You're going to be challenged again. It's going to take you a year to digest. Yeah. Your, your soft skills suck. And these guys will help make your soft skills rock hard, rock hard, suck less. You're going to have six pack soft skills by the end of this. Deeper so, weekend. So join us for Comedy Fest and join us for Deeper Weekend. And, yeah. and join us next week when we come back with another uh, hard-hitting interview and hopefully not an hour-long yeah. BS session between me and Jason. But we, but listener, we're so glad. Uh, by the way, Jason, how can people get a hold of you? We talked oh, yeah, about they, me. Okay, they can do um, Jason on Twitter. Is it is it Jason M. Blummer or Jason yes, Blummer? it's Jason M. Blummer. And there's only one M in Blummer, too. It's not two M's. It looks like Bloomer, but it's Blummer. Well, it doesn't even look... Anyways. Hey, you know what? Uh, Shane McMullen is our audio engineer. Yeah, and we, we totally appreciate the stuff they do behind the scenes to make this work. Guys, another amazing month. Thanks for uh, thanks for joining us on the uh, Thrive Cast. Yeah, we love you people. 